here we go. All right. We are back. It's uh it's an amazing it's an amazing time. We are back because this is season five, episode one. That's absolutely bonkers. I season, dig it. Season five, episode one. So here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world by having principal discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined, as always, in the virtual studio by my co-host, the one and only Jason Moret. How are you doing, brother? I'm good, brother. Much better. Well, sort of. So, Well, sort of. Uh, well, a lot better than last week. Good Lord. I listened to the way I sounded on there, man. Holy cow, did I sound like poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had, you had the you had the COVID. I oh yeah, had the Rona. Yeah, had the Rona. There you go. So, but now you're better. But you were also starting vacation last week. How'd that go? Um, not great because I was sick for most of. It. <laughs> I I said my first uh, day off in a year and a half, and I'm sick for ninety percent of my time off. Ninety percent. Well, you know, fun. Yeah. Joy. Yeah, that was fun. Joy, joy. Joy. So today, what we're going to be talking about is we are going to be talking about um, how to start, well, being a man. Uh-oh. We're in yeah. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, shit. What are we supposed to say there? I don't know, because we're, we're still boys, right? Right. <laughs> Running around in men clothing. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, there's a method to the madness here with, with regard to that, you know, that we, we always talk about, you know, obviously I just said it here. We talk about, you know, trying to get people to live more empowered and happier lives by being, um, you know, thinking in a principled way, having values, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you and I have discussed many times about how we really sort of see um, while we do try to target our show and what we do here for everybody, um, we do have, I think, more of an of an unwritten rule that we're really trying to target young men or just men in general and how they can become better men. Well, and I do think that that comes from a place of perspective. I mean, let's be honest. True. true. You and I are not going to be able to offer much to the female perspective because we're both dudes correct correct um the the entire idea behind our show when we first started discussing it was that while you may be the more educated and well-spoken of the two of us um i was going to be able to relate probably to the more blue collared um we'll say backwoods redneck everyday average (laughs) joe guy (laughs) fair enough but i don't think Either one of us had any delusions that we were going to somehow appeal to the female gender in a, in a intuitive way. Now, do I think that what we offer can be useful? Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Do I think that that's really who we're, we're not going to speak from a place of female perspective. Correct. Because we're both guys. Right. We, we admit that upfront. Sure. We do admit that up front. Hopefully, uh, women do find something of value if they choose to listen to us. If nothing else, maybe they would better understand men in their lives. Yeah. Whether they're and raising they, boys or married to boys, whatever. 
hopefully those um, men in their lives would appreciate that rather than yeah. resent that. And if yeah. they resent that because we're offering something that they don't have, I'm really sorry, but not sorry. I don't know. I feel for yeah. you. I just can't reach that far. Yeah. So we're going to talk about what it, what it means to start acting, behaving, I guess, as, as a man. But first, but, but first, first we, we have a, we have a couple of things to get out of the way. Okay. Um, we have, we have some stupid news. Okay. Um, but even before I get into stupid news, I just, I, you know, I am wearing my GCU hat. Yes, you um, are. They lost yesterday in the first round of the, uh, March Madness NCAA men's tournament. Um, it was a heartbreaker, yeah. but you know, it was their first time. Hey, they made it. They made it. Uh, ASU and U of A did not come close. They, they asked out. So GCU went and represented it. They gave it a good run. I mean, they actually looked, you know, it was kind of hit or miss at times with against Iowa, but you know, for the most part, they, they, they didn't get completely blown out, mm -hmm. which was good. Um, and uh, I think it'll be good for the, for the program going forward. I think, you know, once you get into the, into the dance, you can start making a claim to young kids, hey, come to our school. Not only is it a great school, but you have a chance to go play in, in the tournament. Um, so hopefully, it'll hopefully the program will continue to evolve and grow. So no, that's that's a victory. I know they lost, but it's a victory that they that they made it this year. And congratulations out there to uh, GCU. Couldn't be prouder. Yeah, yeah. So in stupid news, this. Uh, this, this article comes by way of the federalist.com. This is not stupid news that the federalist.com has done. This is stupid news that the federalist.com is reporting on. Reporting the, on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the title of this article um, is Illinois School District Pays Speaker $175 a minute to criticize white people. Oh man, they could have hired me for less than that. <laughs> I mean, come on. $175. I'd have done it for $5. I'd have done it for, you know, well, let's not sell ourselves too short. I mean, $75. I'm <laughs> you you have at least 30 minutes of my time. Right. You give them the, the white the white man's discount. The, mm -hmm. the white man's discount, you know. Right. So yeah, the, the receipts are in. The, here's this is I'm reading from the article here. The receipts are in, according to documents released in response to an open records request. Naperville, Illinois School District 203 paid a diversity consultant, Dina Nicole Simmons, ten thousand five hundred dollars for a sixty minute Zoom keynote address at its 2021 Equity Institute last month, a rate of one hundred and seventy five dollars per minute in one hour. The anti-racism consultant earned the equivalent of about two months salary for some teachers in the school district. How about that for a slap How about in the that? Mess? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, ain't that a kick in the crotch with a pair of golf cleats? Right? Oh. Yeah. Can, can you imagine? Oh, wait, wait, wait. And did that say she did it by Zoom? Oh, yeah. She wasn't even present. It was a Zoom. Well, you know, COVID. She got paid $175 to rail on people in her pajama pants? Of course. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. In fact, in Northern Virginia, for example, Fairfax County Public Schools last summer 
doled out at least $44,000 to anti-racist guru Ibram Kendi, $20,000 for a one-hour virtual lecture, and then another $24,000 buying copies of his book to give to high school students for required reading. That's probably the most disgusting part of the whole thing is making that trash required reading. Mm -hmm. What do you do as a parent in that situation? Can you say, no, I don't want my child reading this. Uh, Who knows? Uh, Well, I know I would. Who knows? I don't know. Um, This exploding industry, going back to the article here, this exploding industry is why Parents Defending Education, a new organization established to empower parents to challenge indoctrination in schools, is filling, I'm sorry, is filing open records requests nationwide to get to the bottom of how school districts are spending taxpayer money. Good for them. Good for them. The Naperville case drew my attention not only because of the divisive nature of Simmons' lecture, but the way her supporters went after Federalist intern Gabe Kaminsky after he wrote about the story, essentially refusing to have the kind of uncomfortable conversations in which they insist people should be ready to engage. So this was kind of a hit piece article here. They, and they, mm-hmm. at least they come right out and admit it. They're like, you know what? You whack jobs. You went after one of my guys. We're going to continue to go after the, the stupid education system. Right. Right. And you know what? I, I'm sorry. There's going to be more like this. Yeah. Because yeah. It, as much as, and we talked about this the other day, as much as we like to hear and as much as we keep hearing that wokeness is the new trend sweeping the nation. Yeah. Au contraire, mon frere. There's way more people out there who are absolutely fed up, tired, and disgusted by all this trash than there are people who are going along with it. Yeah. And do and, not believe the narrative. I'm telling you. Take, take a look at this. This is right from the actual class itself by Jane Willard. The session title was Surviving to Thriving. The description of the session, this is from her. This is what Mm -hmm. she wrote and gave to the school. It says, for community members to thrive, they must feel safe to be who they are. They must love themselves. As a result, our leadership, instruction, and assessment must foster psychological and emotional safety through emotional intelligence, culturally culturally responsivity, and anti-racist practices. What is an anti-racist practice? I don't know. I don't know what that is. We like I, to we like to throw that word around anti-racist, but I don't really know what that means. No. I, I mean if 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 somebody were to say, well, I'm anti-racist, okay. Well, so you don't like racism? Great. Right. I I I, I think most people don't like that. Why is that a what, qualifier? But, but yeah. what is an anti-racist practice? practice? I don't know here. I don't know. She goes on to write during this interactive session. Participants will explore imposter syndrome, emotional intelligence, and culturally relevant pedagogy. Oh, and anti-racist practice. I hate how this is written. Emotional intelligence and culturally relevant pedagogy and anti-racist practices. There's too many ands in there. No, that's not how a list works. We remember that from grammar school, that there are only commas and one and, and it's at the very end with you prefacing your very last item in the list. Correct. Uh, the session, I'm still not even done with the damn description through narrative, through narrative, 
Dr. Simmons will discuss how the intersection of emotionally intelligent and culturally relevant practices can create equitable and welcoming communities where everyone can learn in the comfort of their skin. Well, okay. Now, hold on. In, mm-hmm. in all fairness, and, I, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying here, so throw mm-hmm. me a bone, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on the life preserver. You're going to help bring me into the boat. So far, I'm not overwhelmingly concerned. This has been very well crafted, or at least I believe it is, to not send up any red flags as of yet. Are you now, kidding? Are you high? What are you smoking over now, there? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's nothing. So when you first talked about this, what I what I envisioned is somebody sitting in the front of a room, outwardly trashing white people for being white, because to be white means to be racist, and you're awful individual. That's what I heard when you were talking about, about this person giving 175 paying paid 175 bucks a minute. But that's what these do. <laughs> that that the the whole the the the, the, the I can't the, even speak now. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No. So what I'm getting at is anybody you, who uses right. words like anti-racist practices, all okay. they're doing is they're bashing on white folk. So you take that anti-racist practice out because i agree with you i once that and that's why i think that was just kind of interjected at the end that's why the grammar is so very very bad but honestly living comfortably um working within society etc etc everything that was described there's nothing wrong with that up to that point when but all of a sudden this now takes this anti-racist practice turn and everything is just about you need to be comfortable in who you are for you know that was the very first line of that if i'm not mistaken and i'm going off of memory because i don't have it right in front of me but working with people to be psychologically comfortable with who they are as individuals there's nothing wrong with that i agree with that people should be comfortable with who they are as individuals but then all of a sudden you're going to turn right around in that whole thing and tell me that except for you Jason, because you're white, you need to despise who you are. See, and that's 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 the maddening part of all this crap. The hypocrisy is right in there in the actual discussion, and how we allow it to continue it just boggles my mind. Well, the problem is, is it's all intersectional racial bullcrap. It's it's mm-hmm. it, you know whether or not it's written somewhat decency let but the the objectives here the objectives explore imposter syndrome she even spells imposter wrong yeah. <laughs> maybe it's a different kind of imposter i don't know impostor um she oh god <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, if you're gonna hack apart the queen's english at then you don't deserve $175 a, a minute. You, you, you just don't. You just don't. So imposter syndrome is when people feel guilty for being successful. They doubt their abilities. They doubt um, what they've achieved because they feel like they're a fraud. And so people that are highly successful, because there, there are people who are successful, but who got there because of... You didn't you know, build some that. other privilege. Exactly. Exactly. If you got there, somebody else made that happen. So I'm wondering. 
do that remarkably well. Uh, you, you know, so I'm wondering who is she referring to when she's saying imposter syndrome? Is she referring to the white teachers that are in the room? Well, or is she again, referring to okay. the black teachers in the room? Purely on the surface. If you're successful, you know what? Rejoice in that. That goes, that's, I can, that's I can fine. support that no matter what race, no matter what nationality, no matter what creed, credo, it doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with trying to get people to actually be um, grateful for their successes, learn from their, their defeats and improve. You and I have tried to do that on this show. There should be, there's, there's absolutely no guilt in having what I have. Do I, am I always striving to do better? Yes. But I don't feel guilty for having what I have. I've had to bust my butt. And so have you to get what you've got. The, the problem is the problem with this is the, the whole session has all of this intersectionality woke bullcrap woven through it. Oh, so the sure. question, the question becomes that I have is under what pretense or what context is she talking about exploring imposter syndrome? Is she referring to uh, minorities or just anybody in general who might feel imposter syndrome and how they should break out of that? Or is it more geared toward the white folk in the room by saying, you know what, you're successful, but you only got that way because you've stepped on the backs of minorities to get where you are. I'm not saying she did that. I want to know the context in which exploring imposter syndrome was presented, but sadly we will never know. Sure. And I guess that was kind of my point with on the surface, there's nothing wrong with discussing imposter syndrome and why that's a problem. How it is being manipulated, how it's being utilized becomes the problem. And that's what I was talking about with a lot of these different um, topics and objectives that were outlined in the, in the synopsis of the course. Yeah. The second bullet point, the second objective is discuss the skills of emotional intelligence as well as culturally relevant and anti-racist practices. And that is exactly where I go off. There is nobody in this country today in 2021, March 22nd, there is nobody in this country who uses the term anti-racist and is not themselves a racist. I'm sorry, I have yet to see it. I don't believe that it exists in today's culture right now. So the fact that she used anti-racist in the term, in this whole description, tells me exactly what she's going to do. Because nowhere, nowhere has anti-racist been used as a way of producing anything of positivity. No, no, anti-racist, the, the term anti-racist or anti-racism is by nature divisive. Yes. And divisive language only spawns further divisiveness within the, the audience. Because, period. Because keep in mind what white people are supposed to do as to be, it's not enough to just say, I'm not racist. And it's not enough to just treat people like they're human beings. White people are expected to be anti-racist, which means confronting other white people about racism. And that is how you produce at least the perception that you are anti-racist. You actually, you, it's not that you just live your life and let bygones be bygones. No, you actually have to go out of your way to grab other white people by the neck and yell at them in their face about how they are racist and they have privilege and therefore they should give it up. Right. And that's that goes to, it speaks to, you played a video actually twice 
uh, yeah. gentleman, a TikTok video. That's exactly what that is. Correct. He's white. He's racist. He's the oppressor because he was brought up and indoctrinated in it and he's doing the work and he's condemning everyone else around him who hasn't admitted to that period. And the other, another obsession objective of this was describe ways to incorporate culturally relevant and emotionally intelligent practices into participants' lives and work. And that's where I go over that's, you know, they, the whole intent and the reason why it was held in the school system is because they want this kind of woke crap to be taught in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's, uh, that's it for stupid news today. It's just, this kind of stuff just really irritates me. Um, and yet people are getting paid $175 per minute to spout this kind of racist rhetoric because that's exactly what it is. It is. It is racist rhetoric and, it, and it's disgusting. And you know what? Um, kudos to the group out there of parents who are standing up against this because I think as I was talking about whether it was last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember. There, There's a point where we say enough is enough and we don't back down anymore. We don't bend a knee to this crap anymore. And until we do that, we're to blame for it continuing. And I yeah. think people are getting more and more fed up. And some people are obviously feeling more and more empowered to stand up and say, that's it. Enough is enough. You want to attack me. That's one thing. Do not indoctrinate my children into this crap. And right. that's what's happening. And it's happening younger and younger. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk about what it means to start acting like a dude. Acting like a man. Yeah. All right. I'll try. <laughs> so, <laughs> Keeping so, in mind, I'm, I'm in my, my, my walk-in toy box right now. Well, well there, there's, so what, so let's set the stage here. What, what okay. is, what, what are we trying to, what are we talking about? Well, um, this has been something I've been thinking about for uh, the last couple of days. Um, and I was reading some, some things online where some men openly admit, not to me, but to other people, they have openly admitted that um, they're trying to figure out, well, when does this whole being a man come into play? And we, we, we say man, we're not talking about the gender, about just a, becoming a physiologically defined male person. We're not talking about that. We're talking it, about the actions of an honorable man more than anything. And we just kind of shorten that to be man. Right. Well, and it's, it's that when does that crossing the threshold of maturity happen from um, right. boy to boyhood to manhood? Right. So I was reading about some you know different articles and things and some men walk around and they basically want to know, Hey, when do I start? When do I become, when I, do I cross that threshold? When do I have to start acting like a man? And through their own admission, they're saying, I kind of feel like I'm a teenager in an adult body. Like all of the things that I like that I'm interested in. Um, there are the things that I liked when I was, you know, in high school or when I was in junior high. And how do I, how do I get over that? Um, now kudos for, for some of these guys for recognizing that they're immature idiots. Um, so more power to them. I'll use the term um, because quite honestly, you know what? It, if you're in your thirties and you openly admit that you're still acting like a little kid 
that inside, I'm not talking about the, what like C.S. Lewis talking about losing the childhood, you know, trying to hold on to the magic. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about acting and behaving as a mature, responsible man, man who has purpose and direction and all that kind of, is taking care of business, that type of stuff. Everybody, and I'm a huge proponent of it. Everybody needs play in their life. Play manifests in yes. all sorts of different ways. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about play in terms of um, recreational activities. We're all going to have those kinds of rec- different varying levels of play, recreational type activities. And it's okay to have those. And in fact, we need those kinds of things. They can sure. be very relaxing, allowing us to decompress, not take life so seriously all the time. Yeah. Okay. So how does one, if somebody were to approach you and say, you know what, I'm 35 years old. I still feel like I'm just an immature guy and I don't know when this whole manhood thing is supposed to take hold. What would you, what would you tell that person? What would I tell that person? Yeah, what, what would you tell them? That's Shut probably up? not, I'm not, well, carry on. <laughs> figure me, it out i'd say well congratulations you're a dude guys don't ever really grow up not completely i and and i say that in all jest so hold on don't get all worked up on me yet um you know i still listen to the same goofy rock bands that i listened to when i was in high school because well that's the music that i got i don't know that's what i grew up with that's mm-hmm. what i like i still listen to that I still play video games on occasion, just like you do. Well, that's very high school, very immature, if you will. But that's play stuff. Right. So I would turn around and ask that individual, how do you approach or look at the things that matter most to you in life? And what are those? Because I think in those items and in those places... We start to we start to visualize and we start to actually put into perspective where our focuses have changed throughout maturity. For example, um, where I'm at right now, if I were to ask you, Lucy, what do you think the most important things in my life are? Well, definitely your kids and your family. There you go. It's my kids and my family. I know that. You know yeah. that. Yeah. Does that mean that I feel like I fully matured? Mm, maybe not. I still goof around because now I just goof around with my kids and I'm like, ah, you know what I mean? We're, we're at that same. And I can be a kid again with them. But, you know, I was having this conversation even with my wife, you know, if something happened, I lost my job. Um, I was in danger of losing my house. You know, these are real mature adult ideas. What would we do? Well, if your first inclination is to, let's say, well, to heck with it, pack it all up. I'm moving back home with my mom. You're a boy. You own up. If your first inclination is, well, I don't care what I have to do. If I have to go find two, three jobs or I have to do this, that, or the other, I'm going to take care of those things that matter most. Congratulations. You have passed the threshold in to manliness into adulthood i mean that's that's a big difference in looking at the priorities in your life and how you approach maintaining those things of importance and i think in a situation like that where somebody's saying i feel like i just i like all the same stuff i still play with the same gi joes and all that that i did when i was a kid by flipping the conversation around and asking them 
to focus on what's most important in your life, it reveals a sense of where our focuses have changed. Sometimes though, men will, um, they will swap a focus for a new focus. For example, um, there are a lot of men who have very, very strange relationships, almost Oedipal type of relationships with their mothers. And their mothers have done those men a disservice because those mothers have coddled those, coddled their sons for years, have done everything for their sons for years, have controlled and protected their sons for years. And now those sons are grown and all they simply want to do is they want to find a replacement for mommy. They want a spouse Mm -hmm who's just going to be mommy, but now they get to have sex with her. Right. And, and I know men like that. They, all of the things that they, that their mothers did for them, they now demand that their wives do for them. Right. You know, the cooking, the, the laundry, folding their underwear a certain way, you know, all of those, they basically have to train the their spouse to be their mother and if if you fit into that category you you're not here you're you're not, you're not a man you know and and part of this part of this comes from looking at the we've talked about this several times on this show we've done a whole episode of rights of initiation right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and in societies where they had a right of initiation the men of the tribe literally go in and they rip the son away from their mother. Right. That's part of it. Like some, some tribes would wait until the boy was with their mother and then they would show up and they would rip that child away. And that's a very traumatic moment, but it has to happen because it's sending the message of you're no longer mama's boy. Stop it. Right. We're, we are taking you. At your, you're a young boy right now, but the men of the tribe have come and we're ripping you away from your mother and we're, it's time for your initiation and we're going to go over here and we're going to do the ritual. And when you emerge, the woman who was your mother, she's now a woman of the tribe. You're now on equal footing with her because now you're a man of the tribe. So she's no longer, yes, she's always your biological mother, blah, blah, blah. But in the eyes of the tribe, She's not your mother anymore. Stop it. Well, and and I think it's important to point out here too, there is absolutely nothing wrong. And there is something sacred about uh, the bond between mother and son. And I don't think you, you can't strip that away, nor would I think it'd be important that anybody want to. And there's a very, very big difference between stripping the bond and eliminating the dependence and that's, I think, the big differentiation. You have to absolutely one and away rip the dependence away. And the bond can still be there between mother and son, but the dependence is what needs to go. Does that make sense? Is that do you think that's fair? Um, I, I understand the point. Uh, I understand the point that you're making, and I agree with the gist. I, I just I I question on men's abilities who have been coddled by their mothers and the women's the women who have done the coddling 
to be able to strip the dependency and to the point where, and I think a lot of these ancient tribes had it right. I think for a lot of these ancient tribes, it's we have to dull that bond now, because if we don't dull the bond through the rite of initiation, the mother's always going to be there. And of course she's going to take her child back. Mm -hmm. And so we also have to dull and, and, and sort of anesthetize it so that the boy who now becomes the man doesn't revert backwards and go running back into his mother's arms at the, at the drop of a hat. Plus so that the boy doesn't look for a new dependency mm -hmm. in, in a mate. So I, while I agree with you on the gist, I don't think that in our in today's culture where we don't have those kind of initiation rights, I, I don't think it's possible. Well, I just question both sides' ability to reduce dependency and the bond. At least it's not going to happen from the mother's side. So it has to happen from the from the man's side. Well, I think it most of the time, most of the time, I'm no, speaking no, no, in no. generalities here. Okay. I'm sure, speaking in absolutely. generalities. Absolutely. And, and, and I understand, I understand the reluctance to go along with yeah. that. And let me, let me try and clarify that a little bit better. Maybe this will help because the, the bond between mother and son will always be there no matter what. No, but when, I thought that stop it. Hold on. Let me finish. <laughs> I speaking from experience, a, but keep going. Well, I, I understand where you're at too with that. <laughs> I think that relationship in a healthy mother-son relationship does change when the dependency is removed. And where instead of saying, son, I will always be here to take care of you and be here for you, that has to change to, I will always encourage you and, and help show you a way to better yourself. And it empowers the, the, the man to do for himself and it empowers empowering him to do not enabling the dependency on the relationship again i think i think it's harder for the for the for the mother to do that i think it's extremely difficult for those mothers to do that i think it's more incumbent upon not that not that they shouldn't i think they absolutely should you know there are some birds for example that they they have their little chicks and then at some point they kick the they kick the chicks right out of the nest. <laughs> they kick them right out. You know, they're like, All right, out. get out. <laughs> Fend yep. for yourself, you know. And we need more of that in our society. And I question, I question if there's if there's that dependency where the this mother has done this to their sons, I question that mother's ability, one, to even recognize it, let alone try to curb it. And I think. So I'm speaking to me, and like I said, we said I said this at the beginning of the show. We don't we don't pretend to speak on behalf of the women. We we aren't we aren't them. So I can only speak on behalf of men, and I speak to the men and say, if you find yourself in a position, do some soul searching, and if you find you're in this codependent relationship with your mother that you are now emulating with your spouse, you need to cut that tie. Yes. You have to cut that tie. You can, like you, to your point, you can maintain the bond, but you have to put boundaries around your own mother because I, I, I get the whole, I get it. She's your mother. I get it. But goddamn, grow the hell up for crying out loud. <laughs> it's it's well, about growing up. And you know what? That's part of the problem is we don't have other men in our society that basic. What do you think the rite of initiation was? The tribe basically grabbed a little boy and bullied him into manhood. 
Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. So yeah. we have we need other men to look at these baby men walking around and go, what the hell's the matter with you? Oh yeah. Row the hell up and act like a goddamn man for crying out loud. Yeah. We don't have and, enough of that. And that is incumbent, I think, upon our society to be there to do that for each other. And oh, absolutely, the, absolutely. And here's the problem, and it goes to any relationship. In order to be honest to be direct, to be truthful, and to help each other develop, you have to be willing to risk the fallout from that. And I've made this point to you before. And I think this is where the the mother-son relationship always has the difficulty. Um, From a mother's perspective, that's my little boy. I don't ever want to lose what I have with him. I can respect that in a sense of understanding. I understand Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But in order for that boy to develop, to become the man that you yourself were looking for when you sought out a mate, you have to sever the dependency in that relationship. And you have to be willing to risk the fallout of how that relationship is going to change. And it will. But if you do that from a place of encouragement and empowerment, speaking from personal experience, the relationship that a mother's son can develop after that is 10 times richer and more fulfilling than a dependency relationship that you've had up to that point. Now, I'm going to speak to the, I'm going to speak to the, any women listeners that we might have, not your mother. I'm not speaking to your mother. I know she listens okay. to the show and I'm not speaking to her. But to to women out there who are raising boys or who are, you know, in these weird relationships, um, one thing you have to keep in mind is you're raising a young man to be in another relationship with another woman. And can you imagine if your spouse were as edibly connected to his mother as your boy is to you, mm-hmm. how would that make you feel as a woman? Yeah. How would that to make you that feel you as are a spouse? Simply there to replace your spouse's mom. Exactly. So we have a duty as parents. We have a duty as parents. One, yes, cultivate a healthy child parent bond relationship, whatever. But but come on. What is it that you're really doing? You're raising another human being to be a productive member of society. If you, if that young human cannot be a productive member of a society, then don't give me no crap about what well, I have a special bond with my child. I don't want to hear it because you failed as a parent. Yeah, you have a special bond, but now your child is incapable of being independent in the world and you have failed as a parent. I know, don't tell other parents how to parent. I get it. And I'm not, but the reality is reality. You failed society. You're failing other people out there who now have to rely on your son for something and you've screwed them up. Yeah. You screwed them up because, because, oh, it's my baby. It's my baby. It's my son. It's my baby. And yet, nine times out of 10, what do I hear about from women all the time? Men suck. Yeah. And yet, women raise men. Hello, come on. So if men suck, you have to recognize, if, if you're a mother, you have to do some soul searching and say, am I contributing to the concept of men suck when I say that? 
Well, okay. So that's, that's a fair point. And I think we, no, I don't want to take the, the whole time we've got to, to bag on moms out there because this is a two-sided relationship. Yes. If you're a, a boy and you are still living at home or you're still dependent on your mom for, you know, helping out with your bills, you need to cut the damn cord. Correct. You need to cut the cord and go out and actually f- do your damnedest to make it and be willing to risk failing on your own. And you and I have talked about this before on this show as well. Success teaches us very little. Failure and struggle and strife teach us 10 times what success does in the world. Going out, striving, and if you hit a brick wall and you get pumped on your butt and you got to try and figure out how to pick yourself back up, you learn from that. That's how you go from being a boy to a man. And if you're out there in the sound of our voice and you're not sure, well, that's probably part of your answer right there. there there's your answer. If you don't know, then, then there's your answer. If you wonder, if you think, hmm, you know, and I'm not talking about continuing to do things like, you know, you can watch your superhero movies. You can play your video games. It's fine. Uh, we're not talking about those kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're, we're talking about at the end of the day, do you understand what your responsibilities are? And do you go after those responsibilities with your whole being? And if the answer is no, then there's a problem. Right. And, and you can you can fix that problem, but you have to do you have to do some work. Yeah. And there's a lot of personal responsibility and um, I guess owning your situation in life. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. I, I think that a lot of men, true men out there understand, and a lot of other men still have are yet to actually grab hold of. If you are not happy in your position in life, that's nobody else's fault, but your own. Right. Fix it, take ownership of it and address it. I'm right. not saying that you have to be happy with every single thing, but if there's situations that you're not happy with, don't cry about it that's that's what children do when they don't get their way when they're not happy with where they're at they throw a fit they cry they make it says well it's somebody else's fault he did she did they did that's that's not that's not manhood that's boyhood well i think there's more to talk on this topic absolutely i think there's more to unpack here so i would like to come back in a part two for next week. We'll come back and we'll pick up this conversation where we started. For those of you who don't know, we're doing a different format here. So we're going to wrap this one up. We'll call it a night. Um, and then we'll come back for, you know, next week and we'll talk about, we'll finish out this discussion about how to start acting like a man. Um, because yeah, we caught, we got caught up, but I think we're only, we're, we're only touching the tip of the iceberg here. There's so much more here to unpack. Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely. We're barely scratching the surface. So, yeah. So um, as always, you can find all of our stuff out on our website at fusionunderground.net. We are on Twitter and uh, YouTube. Um, All you have to do is just search for fusionunderground.net. We are anywhere where there is, uh, where you can get your, your podcasts. 
So if you use a specific podcast software, um, you know, do a search for Fusion Underground, you'll likely find us. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. We're on all kinds of other stuff. Just, but just go out to our website. You'll find all of the different feeds out there. Oh, and you can send us uh, hate mail. You can send us hate mail at Fusion Underground, or I'm sorry, contact <laughs> at fusionunderground.net. That's it. So for right. Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez, and you've been listening to Fusion Underground. Cheers. Have a good night.